course, we've been in this series of messages, of lessons, uh, called Disciple. And the idea is each of us is called to be a disciple of Christ, but we're also called to make disciples. So our theme verse is the Great Commission. Look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach. And that word teach, the Greek word literally means, it's the word disciple, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So let's recap our principles. And I said I'm going to recap these principles every week because this is the main thrust of what we want to take away from this, this study. So let's say them together. Principle number one together, disciples. Oh, you got to do it together with me. I'll have to get one more, one more cup of coffee out there. Are you ready? Everybody got it? Here we go. Principle number one, ready? Disciples make disciples who make disciples who... Yes, and you can just add infinitum, as they say. This is the, this is the principle that, as a, as a Christian, we are all part of this process. So the question is, in what way are you, in what way am I engaged in making disciples? Number two, ready? And let's go. Jesus gave the process and the pattern for making disciples. So just to recap... The process is right there in the passage, and that is to give the gospel, to go. That's obviously with the gospel. And we do this by seeing people saved and then baptized, and then we teach them. So that's the process. But who remembers, where do we find the pattern? How do we differentiate the process versus the pattern? The pattern is, if the process is give the gospel, baptize, teach, what is the pattern? What do we mean by that? Where are we finding that pattern? See, this is why I recap them every week, because if by the end of the class, if you just understand these three principles, I will feel like I accomplished something in this, right? What is the idea of the pattern? There's a process to go and teach, baptize, to teach all things. What do I mean by the pattern? Yeah, so remember we said we find the pattern where? Because is it all fleshed out? Is this all fleshed out in this commission? Is it all fleshed out? Like, would we know exactly how to do it? No, we see a pattern where? We see a pattern in the way Jesus discipled his disciples. We see a pattern in the way the New Testament did it. So the whole point of the series is to look at those patterns and see them happen. So disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, etc. Secondly, Jesus gave the process and the pattern for making disciples. And then thirdly, let's say this one together. Ready? Discipleship involves who? The whole church. Discipleship involves the whole church. And so with that, to recap the past couple of weeks, um, I, that says four, five, and six. It auto-numbered on me. It's really weeks one, weeks two, weeks three. The first week was make disciples. The second week was have compassion. And, and part of the pattern of discipleship is showing compassion toward other people. And then the third was the last time we met together, which was practice hospitality, and we spoke about that. 
Well, if you turn over today, we're on the fourth one, and on the inside, you're going to see this. Tonight's topic, make disciples number four, is this, be an active assembler. Be an active assembler. And when I say an active assembler, you could literally put this. You could say, be an active church attender. Now, when people think about discipleship, there's a lot of books that have been written on it. There's a lot of initiatives that people like to put in place. But sometimes people discount the essential nature and the effectiveness of the simple commitment to gathering together and how simply showing up, actively attending, actively assembling is, it should go without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. It astounds me the number of Christian people that I meet who are, who are not active assemblers. And they would claim to be disciples of Jesus. And I think, to one degree, they probably are. They are disciples of Jesus. And many people talk about uh, how we can do things more effectively. If the people of God would be committed to the assembling of God's people, discipleship would go a lot further. Now, let's look at a key passage on this, and then I want to show you a few others. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, this is a pretty big opener. Wouldn't you agree that that statement, I'm going to ask you to help me out in conversation here right from the start. Would you agree with me that that opener is a pretty significant topic here? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Somebody give me a quick paraphrase of that. What is this what, essentially, what are we talking about here? What, are, what is this warning or this encouragement for Christians? It is to what? Okay, absolutely. What else? Yeah, keep the faith. There is a, there is a danger of drifting from the faith. The book of Hebrews is written to people who are wavering in their faith. They've come, they're Hebrew people, they've, they're believers, they've become, they were, they're Jewish people, but they've, come, they've become believers in Jesus, and they're at a crucial point, they're at a tipping point in their faith. And some of them, as Jewish people, are tempted to leave and go back to the old ways. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And he comes here, and he's brought up this theme multiple times in the book, but here he says, let us hold fast this profession of faith without wavering. And he says, for Jesus, he, he is faithful that promise. Jesus is faithful. But now he brings us to this. He's going to show us that we don't hold to the profession of our faith on our own. There is a community aspect to the holding fast to the faith. And that community act, um, aspect is found in verses 24 and verse number 25. Take a look at it. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. If you could just take all these verses and, if it, why don't you do this? Let's do this, because I, I can tell we're, we're, we're all a little bit tired, and that's okay. I'm not scolding anybody, but let's do this. Take your pen, and if you could, write down, write down right now, a quick, if you were to look at these three verses in the short, in as few words as possible, I'd like you to write down the essence of what he's saying in your own words. Do it, if you don't have a pen, write it on your phone. In as few words as possible, take verses 23 to 25 and write your own statement. You can take a minute to do this. I'm going to do it too. I didn't, I didn't plan this part of it, so I'm going to participate with you guys. Short statement for each verse and then put it together. All right, we'll give you 30 more seconds. Really quick Quick statement, shortest, the few words as possible. What would you? How would you paraphrase these these verses? I'll give you, we're down to twenty seconds, and then you can go for it. You, you'll be first. I know you're ready now, but some of us are still writing, ahead of the class. Ten seconds. Just wrap it up. Okay. So who's willing to share with us their quick, the shortest words possible? What you wrote down? What do you got? Keep meeting together and encouraging one another in the faith. I like it. Very good. Who else got something written down? How about, how about I volunteer somebody? How about my dear wife? What did you write down? Huh? Oh, we must, we must say that again so everybody can, everybody can hear it. Oh, that's really good. Commit to stay faithful and help one another stay faithful. Uh, Who's got another one? We've got two. Somebody else give me what they wrote down, what they've got. It's more fun if we all do it together, y'all. Oh, wow. Whose class is this? Go ahead. I've heard this before, but I don't remember. Oh, lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. The salad versus full of lettuce. Hardy, har, har, har. All right. Yes. Okay. He's just giving us an old sermon. You didn't do the job. What would you write down, Mother, from one of your old sermons? Uh, 
right. Mine is kind of similar to that. I wrote, keep the faith, help each other out, keep meeting together. But who else has got one they want to share? Would you have to do it? Yeah, Frank. Oh, that's good. I like that. You kind of turned it around and said all the things. It's good. Somebody else, what, you, what did you write down for that? As few words as possible, you got to do it. All right. That was pretty good. That was awesome. Okay. Now, I want to show you a couple of things. First of all, the word church doesn't actually appear in this passage. Uh, but we understand the context is speaking of the church, and there's a similar word that's used here. So church is the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means an assembly. Some people add the idea of a called out assembly to that. Um, at its simplest form, the word church was a commonly used word in the culture of the day. Anytime you would gather a group of people together, you could call that a church. Now, obviously in the New Testament, Jesus said, I will build my assembly. Right? That's in Matthew. What, chapter 18? Jesus says, I will build my assembly and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this wasn't a political assembly or a or a social assembly, this was a gathering, an assembly that belonged to Jesus. It's his church. A lot of people would say, based on what happened during COVID, there's, a, there's been a big movement and discussion about in-person church versus virtual church. And a lot has been written about that. Now, I am a big proponent of broadcasting church services. I think it's a wonderful thing. However, there is no such thing as a virtual church. It's an oxymoron. Because a church, by definition, is an assembly. It's an assembly. Now, you could, I guess, split hairs with me and make the argument that people are virtually assembling, but there's going to be other problems with that view. At its core, at its core, the definition of a church is people gathered together. Now, of course, there is a grand church, a universal assembly, but even that will eventually physically meet together in the presence of the Lord. And Hebrews talks about that as well, the church of the firstborn that's assembled in heaven. Now, the word here in verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that is the Greek word episunagoge which is epi-synagogue. It has the idea, the same Greek word that was, would refer to the Jewish synagogue gatherings. This word only occurs two times in the New Testament, and the other time is in 1 Thessalonians, and it refers to the, our gathering together with Christ, when Christ assembles his whole church together. I think it's interesting that the only two times it's described is one is at the very end when everybody is assembled together with Jesus, and here in Hebrews, where every, everybody is called to assemble with each other until the day of Jesus. Isn't that an interesting parallel? At the end of verse 20, 25, we're supposed to assemble so much the more as we see the day approaching. So he says, epi, I, I can't pronounce Greek words very well, but epi synagoge, you know, don't forsake the assembling until the day is approaching. 
And then in 1 Thessalonians, we look forward, we hasten to the day where we are gathered together with the Lord, same word. So there's the, the gathering that happens now in anticipation of the great gathering that's going to happen at the end. I thought that was pretty cool. And it's interesting, the idea of the synagogue. This word is not the synagogue because the New Testament church really was the replacement of synagogue worship. And if you were to do a study, and that's not really the point of this, but if you were to do a study of the practices of the Jews leading up to the time of Christ, you would find that synagogue had developed its own culture in and of itself, the regular gatherings on the Sabbath day at the synagogue. Now, that tradition ended up, um, the New Testament church ended up borrowing, I shouldn't say borrowing, but you understand what I mean, ended up with a lot of carryover similarities to how the Jews met in the synagogue. And I want to show you this. This is very interesting because this was Jesus' pattern as well. Look at Luke chapter 4. I have this on your notes. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was the custom of Jesus, it was the pattern of Jesus to gather formally with the people of God. A lot of people will like to, they like to point to how um, informal Jesus' ministry was. Was Jesus' ministry informal in many ways, yes or no? Of course it was. Should we replicate the informality of Jesus' ministry? Absolutely. Of course we should. But does that mean that Jesus' ministry was exclusively informal? No. And it was his custom, it was his regular pattern to attend the gatherings of the synagogue. And then, of course, his church would follow in that and would regularly gather. Now, for sake of time, we'll do this kind of quickly. We, I added a, that exercise before, but I do want to have this discussion. What are some wrong views, and I'll open this up, what are some wrong views, before we look at the correct views, we already have a little bit, what are some wrong views of church attendance? Maybe you could help me with this. What are some wrong views? You could look at people's beliefs about it, people's motivations. I'm trying to be pretty broad here, but what are some unhealthy or wrong views toward church attendance? Because as soon as a pastor speaks about this, there are certain individuals that they just recoil or bristle at even the very topic. And there's some reasons for that. Some, some people have good reasons, some people don't have good reason. What are some, what are some wrong views, unhealthy views of church attendance? Yes. Yeah, I think that's probably, you're right, that's the worst. The very worst view is that because I attend a church service, I now have curried favor or gained merit with God. A performative, like I go, so now I'm somehow earning my salvation or earning my status with God. So that, that would be one. What are some others? Unhealthy views of church attendance. Right, that if, I've, if I have viewed it, I have engaged. Yeah, that's, that is absolutely right. 
I would say that also, though, extends into a personal gathering, too. Like, if I, if I got there and just took it all in as a spectator, that I've actually participated in church, when I may, may or may not have. So some people, the same thing they do on a video screen, they actually do in person as well. So that's a, but that's a really good point. What else would be some unhealthy views toward church? Oh, yeah. So I feel like I need it right now. Other times I'm strong enough in my faith. So, you know, it's kind of like an optional as needed. If I just need a little jolt, then I go to church. I think that's pretty common in our Christian culture today. There have been studies that have done that have been done. Um, they did the same study over 20 years, and it was if the, in the 90s, if you asked somebody, "Are you very involved in your church?" and they said yes, well, how often do you attend? It was pretty much four times a month. They redid that study now and asked people, "Are you very involved in your church?" Yes, and I'd have to double check but say, what is your level of participation? And they said, it was either one or two times a month. So it has, perception among Christians has changed drastically about that. So these are some unhealthy, unhealthy views. What else are some unhealthy views? Yep. Okay, yeah, I don't, that, that I'm reading my Bible or I'm doing this, I don't, so I don't need the attendance part of it. Yeah, that's very true. I would put the I would now give us a little bit other perspective on it too. There are some unhealthy views that are propagated even by churches sometimes toward people. There is the uh, some churches, even biblical churches, can treat church attendance and church involvement almost in a cult-like way. You understand what I mean by that? It's like people are people are not allowed to have any personal schedule or anything at all. So the pendulum can swing a little bit, don't don't you think? and that, that there's almost like this ownership that church leadership can have on people and not give them the um, Christian liberty in some areas. And that doesn't help people either because then people sometimes can attend church out of some sense of duty or instead of loyalty to Christ, sometimes people are attending out of loyalty to maybe the pastor, right, or the expectations of others. And so these things can fall on both sides. Some people, some people don't attend church because they have in, in unhealthy views, and some people are attending church, but they are not doing it for the glory of Christ or for biblical purposes. So we need to look at what the Scriptures say. Anybody have anything else before we, we move on from this? Yes, sir. Right, exactly. You're, you're correct. All right, so let me give you these three things, and I'll try to move through them pretty quickly because we only have about 10 minutes. First of all, and these, are all, these all begin with A if you're going to write them down, we need to assemble in accordance with Scripture. We need to assemble in accordance with Scripture. Obviously, this passage that we just read is teaching us that we are to assemble. It's a scriptural principle. Now, I do want to look at some of the whys, and we're going to see that. We're going to come back to Hebrews 10 in just a minute. But I want you to see some other scriptures. Like, what is, what is a church service? What is a church gathering? And really, 
I personally am seeing this more, and I'm not a big fan of buzzwords. I don't like it when, I just don't like buzzwords. But I do like one phrase that I'm seeing among churches a lot, where they don't always refer to it as a church service, but they'll refer to it as a church gathering. And I do like that terminology because I feel it's, it's, a, it's, it's biblical, um, because that's what a church does. A church gathers. But what was the, 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 the gathering of the saints like in the New Testament? Well, there's a few passages I want you to see. Look at, and I have them here, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. This is the very beginning. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread, and in prayers. Interesting, these emphases of the early church from the beginning, right? They continued in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. I wanted to show you something else. Look at another one. The book of uh, 1 Timothy is written to Timothy, um, pastor in Ephesus, if I remember correctly, and Paul is teaching him how to lead the church. That's what, that's what it's about. It's a pastoral epistle. He's helping Timothy understand how he should lead this church. He teaches him how to, tells him how to preach. He tells him how to be an example, all these things. And if you see verse number 15 of 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He says, in this, I want to teach you some things. You can read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. They teach how a church is supposed to function. But then he says a chapter later in, in chapter 4, verse 13, look at how he describes the emphasis. Till I come, give attendance to reading. Now, some translations, because of the usage of that word reading, they will translate that, give attendance to the public reading of Scripture, because that was the context of that statement. It's not just, you know, Timothy, start, you know, keep reading all those books. This is in the context of in the congregation. Give attendance to, the idea here is public reading of Scripture, exhortation, doctrine. So part of the, Timothy's role in the church, and as the church gathered together, you saw that this lines up with Acts 2.42, doesn't it? They gave attention to doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Give attendance to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Um, now let's see what else. Colossians 3.16, what the church is to be engaged in. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Interesting, you'll notice in that in Colossians 3.16, there's two recipients of the singing of the church. There's two recipients of the singing in the church. Who, are, who is the church singing to in this verse? Admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Who is, yes, sir? That's right. And then who else? Right. We sing to each other, we sing to the Lord. So these are things that are, why do we do? Why are church services, why are church worship gatherings constructed the way that they are? We were to do these things. Now, even a thing like a fellowship meal that we had last week, that is part of the church spending time breaking bread together. 
Um, and then 1 Corinthians 14. This is a church, really confused church. And, but there's some nuggets in 1 Corinthians. In verse 14, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Interesting. As the Corinthian church would gather, one would share a song. One would teach the doctrines. There were miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy in the, that were going on in this apostolic age as well. But the point is, and Paul teaches this, as you gather together, whatever your gift is, use it to edify. Build each other up. And then verse number 40, he says this regarding the public gathering. Let all things be done, how? Decently and in order. So there should be some structure and some format to it. Not so much that it's rigid and non-personal, but enough so that someone could come in and clearly and intelligibly understand what's happening in that gathering. So tell me, before we move on, what stood out to you in, as the stood out to you as we looked at what the scriptures say? And of course, this isn't an exhaustive collection of passages. What stood out to you in the scriptural portrayal of the activities of the church gathering? What stands out to you in this list? Yes, sir? Okay. Somebody else, what, what are some, some things that stand out to you in this? Yeah, I think I, I do think it's a negative statement in this verse. It's a negative statement. You're right. Okay, Thank, that that makes sense. That's a good point. First Corinthians 14, it was a problem. Everybody's like, no, sing my song. But I've got a revelation, or I can do this, or I'll do that. And Paul's like, sort this thing out, do it decently, and do it in order, but not at the exclusion of people's gifts and uh, in desire to serve, right? Um, and in this church, the biggest problem was the tongues. They, everybody wanted to speak their language and show off their gift of language. And Paul's like, no, you don't do that. And he said, he actually said, if you do that and nobody understands what's going on, what if an outsider came in? Which shows us that churches should expect to have outsiders. What if an outsider comes in? They won't even understand what you're doing. Or how could, yeah. So you have something first and then back to Seth. No, I think you're right. <laughs> Exactly. Right. 
Yes. It's true, though. Even in things like that, those things are, are blessings to people. Now, I would, one thing I noticed here is there is a theme um, that these things are all, they're all, I think my dad said this, is like all of things that, these things are important. Like there are churches that will be like, well, well, maybe we don't have great fellowship among the people, but we've got the true doctrine. Well, fellowship is mentioned an awful lot. But then there's other churches, and the attitude is like, well, you know, we don't like to really focus on the doctrinal stuff. We just like to love each other and show love. It's like, well, the doctrine and teaching was like a really big deal. It was mentioned over and over and over again. And so we tend to, we tend to maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses, right? Like, oh, well, but we got this going for us, so we don't really worry about this over here. And that's... That's dangerous because this is, there's a biblical pattern for the church. We need to do all of these things. Frank. Right. And I think, I think just like in most areas of our spiritual life, balance in biblical balance, I mean, balance is a word that can be, you know, misapplied, but balance is not a static activity, is it? If you see somebody balancing, what are they constantly doing? Adjusting. Correcting. And we've got to be patient with each other, too. And, and we've got to be patient with the church. And if you're like, well, I think our church is out of balance over here, you're probably right. You're probably right. So let's, let's make some adjustments. But then in a little while, we'll probably be out of balance. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is all of our spiritual lives. We're all disciples. We're the followers. So looking at this is, is helpful. So we need to assemble in accordance with Scripture. Secondly, write this one down. We need to assemble with awareness of others and their needs. Assemble with awareness. Look back at Hebrews 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24. This is why the assembly is a part of discipleship. Because as we assemble, what are we doing? Where are we looking? Are we just looking to the pulpit, to the preacher, or the platform, to the singers? Where are we? If you're sitting in the pews or the chairs, where are you supposed to be looking, spiritually speaking? around. You're looking around. Like I'm speaking figuratively, right? The point is we come into a, we come into a, uh, a, a service and uh, Patrick helped me with this one a little bit because he's like, you know, all the chairs are in rows, right? So all the chairs are in rows and that means all the attention is focused up there. Well, in our lives, our Christian life isn't set up in rows, is it? It's supposed to be set up 
in a circle where we're looking at each other. We're seeing one another. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That word provoke is an interesting word. Um, And it has the idea, there's two words put together, and it has the idea of coming alongside and sharpening. Coming alongside, we use the word, in contemporary English, provoke is usually used in the negative context. But this is a, in a positive context. But it can be a little painful because there's sharpening that goes on. So we come alongside each other and we spur each other on to love and to good works. That's our job. So this is what I say. I always, I, I, I always think this. When somebody, somebody's like, well, I know I should go to church today, but I, I just have a lot going on. Or some of you already said, I just don't really feel like I need it right now. Who are you looking at in that moment? Yourself. But the assembly is not primarily for me. It's for you. As we assemble, the purpose is to, um, to do this for each other. I thought about this with, you know, in our family, we've had to deal with a lot of rearranging our schedule because of youth sports. And it doesn't matter what sports you sign up for, they always conflict with some church activities. Just always. just happens. And so I can understand the temptation to be like, well, we're faithful every Sunday morning, but, you know, thou shalt go to church on Wednesday night is not in the Bible, is it? Well, no, it's not in the Bible. But then you get to think about it. If you think about it, well, if everybody just says, if nobody makes a priority of it, then we can't have a Wednesday night kids club. We can't have these things. So do I, would I be spiritually okay to a degree if I was just like, oh, you know what, I just don't think I'll show up for this one, but I'll be there for the other ones and that one. I might be spiritually okay. But what about the person that needs my presence, that needs to be provoked to love and good works? See, it's a different motivation when we assemble what he says. He literally says here, don't fall away from the faith. In fact, take a mutual accountability for it. Consider each other. Remember where we began? We began with hold fast the profession of faith and do it together. Consider one another. Provoke one another to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Assemble with awareness of others. And then finally, we can just wrap up with this one. Assemble in anticipation of Christ's return. Assemble with anticipation of Christ's return. He says, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm afraid there's a generation of Christians today, not all of course, but I shared that statistic with you earlier. There's a generation of Christians today that look back at their parents and they say, oh, uh, my parents dragged me to church on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, and you know what? It was, it was just legalistic. And so I'm not going to have that kind of Christianity. I understand that there are imbalances and there are wrong motivations for, for people going to church, etc. 
But we don't assemble for those reasons. We assemble for everything we said and in eager anticipation because there's one day when we're all going to be gathered. As we get closer to the return of Christ, the attitudes of Christians should be, we need each other more and more and more. So much the more as you see the day approaching. So this is part of discipleship. It's a key part. And I don't think people often realize how essential their simple act of assembling is. So I hope that encourages you, I hope it challenges you a little bit and helps you as you uh, lead your family or speak with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's wrap it up with prayer. Lord, we thank you that we've had the time tonight to look at your word. I thank you for the church and the gift that it is to us. I pray that you'd help us now to spend this next uh, time in prayer, help it to be meaningful as we lift up the needs of uh, people uh, in our church and associated with our church. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.